This week we are entering the Matrix. Tiffin Perry is here to discuss the first Matrix film from 1999. Let's do it. another podcast called sci-fi on trial where we put films on trial to determine if they've been remembered fairly or even if they're guilty of crimes against fandom coming up at the end of this month i'll be recording a a brand new episode of that show with a panel discussing the matrix sequels we're going to put both matrix sequels on trial at the same time to see if uh, either of them is guilty of crimes against fandom in order to do that of course i've got to watch the movies seemed like a great opportunity to put a show together about the first matrix film which is a very precious film to me. I really love it. haven't seen it in quite a while, but I was totally blown away on the rewatch. Tiffin Perry is going to be one of our panelists in the trial of the Matrix sequels, so I invited her to come by and watch the film with me, and we recorded this conversation right after. I hope you enjoy. Tiffin Perry, welcome back to the podcast. Hi, Jesse. So it's been a while. You were, uh, been a while. Fuck. That's a problem for me now. I can't stop doing that. And I say it's been a while a lot, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So it's just a problem that I'm having all the time. <laughs> now I'm distracted. Yeah, no, it's been like, ooh, a year, a year and a half. Yeah, you were on the podcast for episode, the last time you were on was episode 52. <laughs> Uh-huh. And this is going to be episode 98. Holy shit, congratulations. So, it's been a while. It's I'm... been a while. <laughs> it's like a fucking curse. It's like, it's like a virus. <laughs> and I'm infected. Yes. Um, well, at least you don't have a plug in the back of your head. Totally. Apparently, all humanity is a virus. Human beings are a disease. A cancer of this planet. You are a plague. And we... I thought that was so interesting, actually. So we're talking about The Matrix, and let's start with that. Because I thought that that was a really interesting idea, the the fact that human beings aren't mammals because mammals always find some sort of synchronicity with their environment. I don't know if that's scientifically true or not, but it's really interesting. I like are there any other species that will use up their their environment to the point of it dying? There must I'm sure there are. I'm not a scientist. Yeah, but it, it but it is like a really a really interesting idea that like that human beings aren't necessarily good for the world. But it's funny coming from this machine. For sure. Uh, no, very very true. Um, I mean, the machine isn't good for the world or the environment either. Totally. Um, I mean, obviously, it's destroyed the entire like ecosystem of the world, but yeah. not for itself. But I wonder how much of that was done by the machines and how much by the humans. Because we know that, like like he said, we know that the humans are the ones who, uh, like, blotted out the sun or killed the sky or whatever he says. Yeah, he did say that at one point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the like the damage was probably caused by both sides fighting each other. And then, uh, and maybe that's, it's like a 50-50 fault issue as to why the Earth is now like a barren wasteland. Right. But we created them, so it's really all our fault in the end. There you go. That's conclusive for sure. <laughs> um, so okay, we haven't like both of we were talking about this before we watched it. Neither of us have watched this movie in a really long time. So, what was your initial response to seeing it again? I thought it was extremely entertaining. Um, I was surprised by how action packed it was because I do not, I didn't remember that. I mean, I was trying to do the math. I was sixteen when this movie came out. Yeah. Um, and I saw it in the theaters. And I was completely blown away and like, I mean, it just like turned my world upside down, you know, <laughs> and everybody was talking about how, you know, the Matrix could be real or whatever. Right. Um, but I didn't remember it being as action packed as it was, which I didn't mind in this instance. Um, yeah. Initial reaction. I thought it was entertaining. Uh, I thought all the characters were very beautiful. Yeah. I very much enjoyed the costuming. It's a gorgeous cast <laughs> in tight leather. Yeah. Which is totally. really fun. 
Um, and I kind of have a thing for nerds. So the whole Keanu Reeves, like in the beginning when he's just like the, the like computer nerd. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, so, so handsome. Are you, are you, you're more interested in Mr. Anderson than in Neo? It sounds like. Yeah. You're, you're like a Clark Kent type of girl instead of Superman. Yeah. A hundred percent. That's cool. I like that. <laughs> makes me feel better about how nerdy i am <laughs> what was your initial reaction man i was so blown away like yeah. i loved this movie as a kid and i so i didn't see it in the theaters because as a kid now we're about the same age so yeah so you were like it came 16. out i was 15 when it came out 15 okay. and i saw it when it came out on home video because one of my teachers at in high school was like really into it from a philosophy standpoint and he huh. really wanted everyone to see it. So he actually showed it to us in class. And that's the first time I ever saw it was in class. And I was like set up to think that it was this brilliant, beautiful piece of philosophy by my teacher. And this was one of those teachers I had like a special relationship with where I really trusted mm -hmm. his opinion, uh, where he like would talk to me personally about philosophy after class and like really helped expand my mind into a lot of spirituality and things that i'm really interested in mm -hmm. and it was like one of my favorite teachers so i really took his word for it and then we watched it in class and i'm like this is just an action movie you know and i was really unimpressed when i was 15 huh. and then i don't know what happened but i watched it a couple more times and it became one of my favorite movies i it's just like so pleasing to watch it's it's just like one of the perfect like it's not a it doesn't feel like a big budget movie but it just feels like a, the perfect style of movie, you know, the most entertaining type of movie you could imagine. <laughs> and it gives you this amazing different view of reality that's so mm -hmm. outside of what we experience and it fleshes it out so well that I just became really compelled by it over time. And you got like super into it to the point where when the sequel, the first sequel came out, my friend and I, Scott, were watching it at Scott's house and acting out the first scene, like pretending we were Trinity and, you know, like running <laughs> down the stairs and turning around with our guns up, you know, uh -huh. uh, and then went to see the second one in the theaters that same day. So I, I was like a massive fanboy for a little while. And then the third one, I kind of liked the second one, but the third one is terrible. And I was just blown away by how bad it was. And I just kind of fell out of caring about the Matrix at all because I was so disappointed. I wish you would stop giving me, the, me, me these opinions because I haven't seen those movies. Oh, you haven't like, seen them no, at all? I've, no, I've seen them once. Okay. And it was when they came out. Yeah. So if we're going to do this sci-fi on trial thing. Yeah. I want to form my own opinion. Okay. I'll shut up about the second two. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we, we're, so this is like step one in, in our sci-fi on trial process because we have to watch we have to watch all three of the movies before we put the second two on trial for crimes against fandom and the first one is not on trial the first one i just wanted to see and you know you're going to be on the trial panel so we decided to do this this is this should have gone at the beginning of the show uh we decided to watch this movie it's like the beginning of our matrix journey so i think it's funny that you were talking about your uh about your teacher like bringing yeah. it into class and saying it was you know this big thing and so important yeah because I think about halfway through the movie, I looked at you tonight and I was like, I just realized that this is supposed to be a social commentary. Totally. <laughs> and I never realized that when I watched it when I was younger. Yeah. At all. Um, it, it just wasn't apparent to me because yeah. of kind of the guys that it was in because of the way that they present the movie. It just feels like an action movie. Right. You know, um, all of humanity is uh, sort of a, uh, a slave. Yeah. To... The bigger machine. Right. In whatever sense that is. Right. And I just never caught it before. You know, I never thought about it in that way because I didn't think about it that way when totally. I was 16. I was just like, oh, what the hell are they talking about? You know? <laughs> I think that you have to join the American workforce to really understand that. Because <laughs> I, I, I I've never watched this as an adult. Yeah. And that aspect of it, like, really appealed to me this time. The idea that, like, the, the, the life that you've been told is what you're supposed to want isn't real and that there's this level of reality beyond that that is real and like is what matters the the whole system of how you have to like go to work and have a job just so you can survive and you know if you if you don't make a lot of money you don't have value that whole system is insane you know like the fact that that's how we've chosen to live as a society never ceases to boggle my mind and i love that this movie kind of like tears that apart and says there's something else out there that is real and it's not even better you know it's actually kind of worse but it's right. just like like the reality of what we've built doesn't really matter on a cosmic scale 
Uh, and I think that's so cool. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. You said that this, this uh, society that we've chosen to live in, or that we've chosen to, yeah. you know, uh, to build, to further or to build. Um, I mean, I don't think that anyone that's living currently has chosen that. Yeah, totally. We've it's inherited just, I mean, it. It's we've inherited it. And I, it's, it's our it's our choice been... to decide not to do it. You know, like yeah. like there are there's <laughs> things happening that are heading in that direction. You know, like universal income or healthcare. There's like like things that should I don't know the universal base income. Yeah. yeah. And I, I just feel like the whole like monetary system doesn't work. And I, I don't even know if that's necessarily a good solution. I feel like we just need replicators so we can live inside the Star Trek future. Like now. <laughs> yeah. Can we just start to talk about Star Trek? Now? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> just joking. No, uh, we're not getting into that. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you. That future. Uh, Matrix future. So 2199, 2199 is what they're guessing. The they're pinnacle estimating. of human society was 1999. <laughs> they're not wrong. It's gone downhill. We both laughed out loud when they said that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the Matrix was built off of the pinnacle of your civilization and we both looked at each other. We're like, 1999. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so I think it was interesting watching it this time too, with the whole, like, and I know you said you haven't done any of the virtual reality. Yeah. Stuff. I've never tried virtual reality. Um, but the idea of him like going in there and being so like terrified or not being able to, you know, jump from building to building like the first yeah. time or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, I could relate to that much more now because of the fact that I've spent some time uh, doing virtual reality. Yeah. And it feels real. Like Crazy. I felt like zombies were going to kill me. Oh my God. Um, is that fun? Yeah. It is after, <laughs> it is after like the first little bit. Um, I mean, there was this, this one little program that I did uh, and you have to like climb across this, this cavern and it's, um, it's all these planks of wood. It's this long, like a um, very decrepit bridge. Uh-huh. It's all these planks of, you know, wood. And you have to like, you have to walk across it, but it's just this huge cavern below and all these holes. And I was literally like crawling on the floor in my sister's house. Wow. Because it felt that oh, real. Crazy. Right. But, um, but so strange. There's a place in Seattle that has a VR simulator of the bridge of the Enterprise D. Where you can like go in oh. with friends and like sit down and be on the bridge. And that's what you're describing makes me really excited because I want it to feel real. Where is this place? It's in uh, Ballard. Why the fuck don't I know about this? I, that's what I was thinking when I was told about it recently. I, we, we, we should get like a group together and go do it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we should get the people that would most care together. <laughs> And then so you, get dressed up in uniform. Pretty much you and I. Yeah, it's you and I. We'll get dressed up in uniform and we'll go pretend to be real bridge officers and we'll take it 100% seriously. Okay. I'm really into that idea. Um, Sounds good. Can I be Spock? Totally. Okay. I'm going to be Jordy. Of course you are. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was blown away by this movie on rewatch in a lot of different ways. It felt like it was like a 95% perfect movie. And we'll talk about the one thing that doesn't feel perfect about it to me in a minute, but, (laughs) but the, I think what's so special about it to me is that the, the, all the colors and the sounds, the noises, the, the acting, the faces, the, everything about it is so evocative and unique and individually uh, interesting and is just in this movie. Like even the sequels don't have it. This movie just has some special, thing it's got a cohesion and a vision and a direction that is so clear and it's so the story is so complicated and they spend so much time on uh exposition but they do a really incredible job of making a world bringing you into it making you care and then having shit happen and that's my favorite you know that's like the best way to make a movie and the cinematography, the special effects, everything about it fits in this perfect world that they've created. And I love it so much. You know, it reminds me a lot of star Wars in the way that star Wars just feels real. It feels like they've created this universe that is real and could exist. And people act and talk differently inside of that universe. And it's all consistent and you believe it all. Uh, I feel that way about this first matrix movie, except for the one thing that I don't like. (laughs) 
<laughs> We're going to talk about that now, or do you want to wait? Should we? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to say really quick. Yeah. Um, you were talking about, you know, how cohesive and beautiful the universe is. And I agree um, completely. And it's very, very believable. Um, and I think part of it is because no one knew or judged Keanu Reeves yet, for the most part. This was after Bill and Ted, I think. I don't know. But I think if it was, this was his first serious role. And that was like a big thing. I mean, everyone thinks Keanu Reeves is this terrible actor. Right. And I would tend to agree, except for this movie. I think Keanu Reeves is a fucking brilliant actor. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What else is he a great actor? So I loved him in The Devil's Advocate, which another Uh, movie I was really obsessed with as a kid. Uh I watched like over and over. Uh, Al Pacino in that movie was one of my favorite performances ever. Okay. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so I don't know if it holds up or not. But um, I mean, I don't think I, I think Keanu Reeves is an incredible screen presence that like really captivates me and makes me want to watch him on film. Whether or not he's a good actor, I don't know. He's like a Harrison Ford to me, where whatever he's in, he's just captivating. Okay. Uh, and I think that he's just like perfect for this part, you know? Oh, he's absolutely perfect for this part. Yeah. There's uh, so much subtlety in his performance and Morpheus too. Holy shit. Lawrence Fishburne and Carrie Ann oh Moss. God. Like yeah. that power trio uh, being who you end up with at the end of the movie is also really powerful because mm-hmm. there's this brutal slaying of most of the main cast in the middle of the movie where that one, uh, is it, it's not, no, Switch is the girl. Uh, Apoc is the other dude. Who's the guy who goes bad? Oh, I didn't care about him enough to remember his name. Yeah, I don't remember his name. But anyway, he's awful. And Well, he, he was obviously bad from the like yeah, first scene. Totally. He's like this weird, smarmy, this, gross like dude who <laughs> kills almost all of the good guys. Movies, a lot of things, but it's very transparent. Yeah, you totally. You kind of know from the beginning exactly what's going to happen. And I think um, that that's good because it's so complex. I mean... Have you ever seen anything like that scene where Neo comes out of the Matrix? It's like, or come, yeah, comes out of the Matrix for the first time, where he wakes up in this like pod of goo, and he's got no, it's shit in his arms, in the back of his head. Like, it, it's such a left turn. And why the fuck couldn't they give him a little heads up? Yeah, they didn't tell him at all. No, like, maybe like, just be like, you're gonna be really scared. My my or theory like, is hey, that the process of pulling them out doesn't work if they know what's gonna happen. Why why would that make sense? Because your brain has been wired to feel like this is real your whole life. They must have had a lot of uh they must have had a lot of experience trying to pull people out and having it go wrong and the person get like irrevocably fucked up somehow. So what is that what is that red pill then? Is that just like It's part of a tracker program that helps them identify where his body is in the real world so they can pull him out. I understand that it's a tracker program. Um but what is in that pill that would make them be able to wake up? Is it some like yeah, extreme, yeah. like not hallucinogenic, but some extreme like? My theory is that in the the way that people interact with things in the Matrix is how their brain can process it. So if he needs to put something into his Matrix body so uh-huh. that they can find his real body, then he would eat it because that's just how his brain interprets putting things into his body or like uh-huh. inject it or something like that. So I feel like it's just a way to translate, like giving him that program or that piece of software, uh, physically putting it into him and his brain interprets it as eating a pill. That's my theory, mm. but I don't know. All right. That's, that's how I justify it to myself. Cause it doesn't make <laughs> a lot of sense. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but yeah. I mean, a lot of the things in, in most movies don't. Yeah. So. A lot of this movie is taken on faith for sure. Um, and about what you were saying earlier about this being, you know, such an intriguing, like the way they set it up is really intriguing. The whole movie is so beautiful. Um, but there is very little character development. Yeah. We were talking about that during the, the viewing. Uh, and you're so So right. You fall in love with these characters. You do. You're really invested. Yeah. But you know, next to nothing about them. No idea who the fuck they are. Yeah. Um, I mean, we were talking about like that, that like software thing that Neo's doing at the beginning. Yeah. He's like and a never, pirate software hacker person, but they don't really it, explain it, but it he gets paid $2,000 for a disc of something. Right. But he never, um, uh, he's obviously very successful in his regular job. So it'd be interesting to know the backstory of yeah why he's doing this other thing, how he found out about the matrix. 
Yeah. You know, all of those things. I know. I would but love to never, know There's how, probably fan fiction somewhere. I'm sure there is. Yeah. And I haven't watched the Animatrix and I don't, I don't know if any of that is covered, but I was thinking about that, that the idea of like how, how this like myth of Morpheus has permeated the hacker culture. I would love mm-hmm. that whole movie, you know, right? <laughs> or how the myth of the Matrix, like people think it's real, like this whole hacker community that thinks that there's this, like maybe they have hints of what it might actually be, uh-huh. uh, but they have no idea that it's because of this war or something. They just think that they're in a simulated reality of some kind like that. They could have, I, I was thinking this time that they could have made a whole movie of the first like half hour uh, up until the point where he wakes up in the real world. Like, what if that was the end of the first movie in a movie series? Wouldn't that be incredible? That, like, the whole movie is, like, he's getting calls from some person who knows what's happening in his life and can, like, guide him through things. And it, it takes the whole movie to convince him that it's real and that he needs to let go. And when he finally lets go, he wakes up in that vat of goo and then the movie ends. <laughs> that would be so great. I agree. That would be amazing. The Matrix would not be anywhere near as popular oh as i it agree is if it I, was they made that. the right call but what you totally. want is you want a prequel because well, that's what they're do- i said prequel 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 yeah prequel they yeah. are making more matrix movies and what i want is um like Wait, that is what i would want when i was just announced recently that i mean who knows if it'll happen but they want to like reboot the matrix series is keanu reeves gonna be in it i don't think so it's gonna uh so here small spoilers for the second two movies um, there are spoilers three, two, one, go. Uh, there, there are like multiple cycles of the one because the one is kind of built into the matrix software that they need that like variable to keep the matrix stable. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm, oh, you, I'm sorry. I'm spoiling for you because I know you've seen these. No, I haven't. I just haven't seen them in so long. And yeah. I have, I've seen them once when they came out and I really, yeah. I have the worst memory in the world. So I have no recollection of them. Well, I apologize for spoiling uh, it for no, you. No, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> um, but it, now, huh. now I forget where I was going with that. So there's always an incarnation of the one. So the new oh, movies. Oh, yeah. So that's exactly right. So the new movies could be a different incarnation of the one. Except okay. like the, the trilogy is all about, you know, is Neo like the final one or not? You know, or like what is the one and can you break out of that programming or not? Which is kind of what the second two movies or especially the third movie kind of look at. Um, and I, 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 I'm a, I don't know. <laughs> I, uh. I think that the whole construct of the one in this movie by itself without looking at the other two is way more interesting than what they do with it. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of wish that they had not made Neo the one in this movie. Like I kind of wish that they, this is, I mean, I like what they did with it just fine, but I do feel like it would have been cool if there was like a message of, Oh, anyone can be the one if they can break free or something like that. And then he, you know, finds some way to, to become that, save your character even though he's not like the one doesn't necessarily exist that's just like a a small thing that i would have preferred even though i don't necessarily mind how they did it but if i mean then the girl couldn't have fallen in love with him yeah okay so this is the thing i don't (laughs) like (laughs) the the one thing that really bugs me that i feel like didn't belong in the movie was the fact that trinity knows that neo is the one because she loves him You can't be dead. You can't be. Because I love you. You hear me? I love you. We were talking about the timeline of this because he's woken up and he spent probably a couple of weeks, you were saying, based off of his hair growth to like fix his atrophied muscles and acclimatize his body to being awake in the real world. And then it seems like a matter of days between his training and when they're going after Morpheus at the end. Uh, and it seems like it couldn't have been more than like four or five days and yeah. Trinity, but I guess Trinity has been like watching him for a while, but, um, but she claims to, Creeper. she claims to have fallen in love with him by the end of the movie. Right. Uh, it's so you have to take it as kind of a love at first sight situation. And, for some reason that doesn't seem to fit to me in this world, like this gritty real world that they've discovered outside of this world where they have all these crazy powers. It just, I, for something, it just doesn't sit right for me. I don't know why. She also doesn't have a lot of options. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you've got to think about that. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I would imagine that going through uh, the sort of, the sort of combat that they were going through together would 
definitely make you feel the feels. Yeah. But she was in love with him and she had sort of uh she'd sort of admitted to that without admitting to it before right. they were even in combat together. Right, totally. She was like, hmm, I love him. But I don't know. Maybe she just loved him. Maybe it was love at first sight. Yeah. It- but then the whole what what really bothered me was the whole like like Snow White kiss thing. Right. Yeah, that's the moment that it culminates in. Which yeah. is like Neo has died and then her kiss brings him back to life somehow. Because she loves him and yeah. it's magic. That like that whole plot line I would excise because I don't care for that. It just feels right. so fairy tale. Mm-hmm. And what I love about this movie is it's like saying the world around you is a is a fairy tale and this is what's real. But then the people that live in the real world have all these like mystical beliefs about this or Morpheus in particular has this mystical belief about Neo being the one and then they seem to believe everything that the Oracle tells them, but the Oracle is a machine. So it just seems obvious that they're being manipulated somehow. And to have the main character fall in love with Neo that way, just, it just felt like it really weakened her to me. And I I don't, it just like, I don't know. I just really like the grittiness of the world outside of the matrix. And the idea of someone falling in love with someone based off of a prophecy just, just doesn't feel like it fits to me. Yeah. We also didn't get to spend a lot of time in that world in this movie, which I believe in the real world. In my recollection, that happens more in the next two movies, right? Yeah. The third one is almost entirely in the real world and it's boring. Oh, really? I'm I'm sorry. I got to stop saying. Do I have to watch it? You do. I'm sorry. God damn it. Well, you're going to want to after you finish. I mean, you you already want to, right? I kind of want to. Yeah. I mean, I I hated that movie and I'm still excited to watch it. You brought up earlier, you said I've never seen the Animatrix. What the hell is that? I don't know what that is. It's like an in-canon continuation of the story that has uh, like little cartoon. It's a cartoon. uh, Okay. But there's a bunch of different people made it. So like different storytellers getting like vignettes in the world of the Matrix. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so so my thought for like rebooting, I was thinking about this a lot because I've heard that they were going to reboot it. My idea about how to reboot this would be to have the whole first movie be in the Matrix with like a like a main character like Neo getting calls from someone like Morpheus telling him how to like evade these agents. And in this movie, like the agents catch Neo and try to convert him to their side. And I think it'd be cool to see that for a while, you know, have him go over to the bad. Well, let's say it's a girl in the reboot. Uh, and just because I feel like that'd be cool to have a female main character. Um, you look like you really want to say something. Do you not feel like it would be more interesting to uh, to have something that either flashback consistently to how this happened in the first place? Or I would rather see a new incarnation. I would rather see a new incarnation of this. Because they talk about it being like a cycle, you know? So you want it to be in the Matrix. You don't want to see how that happens. I, I You wanna, don't want to see the story following I want to start that. in the Matrix and have someone discover what it is and then maybe see in flashbacks how, how it that, happens. Well, I would want to see that in the second movie. I, I would want to have the whole first movie be like someone questioning the reality and, and finding like weird breaks in the reality and like trying to find a way out into the real world. I, right. Like all of that is my favorite part of this movie. And I want a whole movie of it just cause I'm greedy. And then I would end it with that character being pulled out of the matrix. Cause they only do that really once to my memory. I mean, I don't remember them ever pulling someone else out of the matrix. And that's one of the most incredible parts of this movie. Cause it's such like a smack in the face, you know, it's like being doused with cold water when he wakes up in that horrible real world. So I would like end the first movie with that and then develop that in the second movie. And, you know, Morpheus like telling this person how the real world works in the second movie. Or I, I'm sorry, in, in the original Matrix, I would have that be like the start of the second movie and kind of develop the whole idea of, you know, the one and all that kind of stuff. And then the and then like the third movie would be kind of what they did with both of the sequels. But it would but I would want to do something totally different because I wasn't really happy with what they did with the sequels. You know what I would do is I would have uh, a, I would have the the one in this iteration of the franchise be a, a, a computer program that grew from inside of the Matrix that, like, is a, a sentient being. Like, you know how it's, like, there's artificial intelligence and then there's the real humans in the Matrix? Uh-huh. What if, like, a, what if the Matrix itself actually, like, created offspring somehow? So there was, oh. like, some artificial intelligence that was born of that the Matrix. That maybe didn't even know that they were. That isn't actually human at all. 
and maybe discovers that at the end of the second movie that they've maybe they try to leave the matrix and discover that they've never been human or something like that and they're actually a machine um i thought that would be kind of cool You've thought about this a lot. Well, I was pretty stoned when we watched that movie, and I was like <laughs> thinking, you know, like what would I do if I could make a trilogy of Matrix movies, and that's what it would be. Miles was sitting on your chocolate. I saved it. <laughs> Thank you. You're um, So I feel like the I feel like the whole movie was really. It feels more timely now than it did in 1999 when it came out. Yes, I agree with you. Like I said, it was more, um, I felt like it was more relatable, like just even based on just the virtual reality stuff, because I had no, I always watched it and I was like, but it's not real. And they've told him it's not real. So why can't he do it? Totally. But kind of understanding how that feels real, even when it's not. um, Yeah. Like getting your mind to make those jumps. Right. And plus really difficult. We don't know. For sure. For sure. Um, plus, I think pleather is really coming back. So <laughs> there's that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just for me, I was really thinking about the AI because, you know, like. Oh, Amazon drones. That was yeah. my first thought when it like oh, really? the first time they showed those. I was like, hmm. Yeah. Like those, Bill, Bill those Gates could be Amazon drones. Totally. Like in. Oh, yeah. 200 years, you know, like Bill Gates and uh, Elon Musk have been talking about how the birth of artificial intelligence could be the end of the human race. I mean, that's what this movie's about is that we create yeah. artificial intelligence and then a new species is spawned from there uh-huh. and, uh, and they take over. So, yep. I mean that I, it's really interesting that like the way this movie presents it is very far fetched, but the idea of it is not that far fetched that, you know, machines could turn against us if they ever became uh, self-aware and we're actively right. trying to create self-aware machines. Yes. I mean, just like yes. Google's search algorithms, like they're they're trying to make these things as uh, smart as possible and to uh-huh. to think ahead and to be creative in their thinking. And it's not that big of a stretch to imagine, you know, someone succeeding in creating AI or even AI coming into existence accidentally because Google's algorithms have become so advanced that it starts to think on its own, maybe. You know, like yeah. I always imagine data kind of has emotions in his own way, uh, even though he doesn't have the programming for it. But he seems to have emotional reactions to a lot of things. Of course he has emotions. Yeah, totally. Uh, and and I would imagine that like that type of life springing from software and machinery could be possible. And that maybe something that we're currently doing could spring to life. So, yeah. So it felt really timely to me. It felt like these are issues that now more than then we are grappling with as a society. I mean, it's been like, what, 20 or 18 years since that movie came out? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it does feel extremely contemporary. I don't know. I think the other aspect of that that is interesting is the idea of uh, this artificial intelligence living off of us, which is, I know is something that we touched on a little bit earlier. Yeah. But kind of living off of us. And this was something that was just starting to become like a super hot issue in 1999, like barely. But we live off of, I mean, we're draining and living off of the things on our planet. Yeah. To the point of. Depletion. Depletion. Yeah. Um, and the idea of us creating something that inadvertently does, well, not inadvertently, that very obviously does that to us. Yeah. That lives is a really a interesting. Resource. I agree. Concept. I agree. <laughs> um, because we do it to so many things on our planet. And I don't have a solution for that in well, any way, shape or form. That's an interesting but, idea. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, it's a really interesting way to think about environmentalism. Like, what if you are the resource? What Uh if humans are the resource? You know, Uh, just thinking about like, (laughs) like life as a resource in general and it being something that shouldn't be wasted. And I feel like there's this amazing undercurrent in this movie of like these people who are actually alive are are a resource uh, and Mm -hmm. are a... uh, the people that are outside of the matrix even more so like the people who are are free because there's so few of them and like being free is like the correct state of being as far as this movie is concerned you know right um which is also a really interesting thing to look at because there's the character the bad guy i wish i remembered his name but uh joe pantaleonmo or something like that the actor's name yeah. Uh, so the idea that he would rather be a slave and he'd rather be plugged back into the matrix because the real world is too much to deal with. I'm not going to lie. I completely related with him. You know what? I, I did too. Um, 
Cypher. Cypher. Thank you. Yeah. What's, I just looked it up on the Google. I didn't remember it. What's the actor's name? Uh, Joe Pan- Pantoliano. There we Pantoliano. go. Nice. Yeah, you were. You were. That was pretty much what I said. Too. I think. Maybe. I think that's pretty much what you said. <laughs> um, um, but no, I, yeah. I absolutely related with him, and I think that in the same instance, I, I mean, I wouldn't throw all of my people under the bus. Right. I wouldn't kill a bunch of people. Yeah, that's but where he and I, I broke. Knew, but if I knew what that choice meant for the rest of my life, taking one of those pills or the other, I that would be that would be really hard for me. Yeah, because like you can live in truth and have a life of pain, or you can right. live in a lie and be comfortable. Yep, you gave them Morpheus. He lied to us, Trinity. He tricked us. If you would have told us the truth, we would have told you to shove that red pill right up your ass. And it's not true, Cipher. He set us free. Free. You call this free? All I do is what he tells me to do. If I got to choose between that and the Matrix, I choose the Matrix. That's something that we might have to choose from, or humans might have to choose from eventually, because there's all this talk about Ray Kurzweil and the and futurism and the singularity, which is this point in which man and machine become indistinguishable. And he believes. I listened to him talk on Star Talk, which I've referenced a couple times before on the podcast, but it was a really interesting conversation that like has stuck with me for a long time where he was talking about the fact that in the future, there might be the possibility to plug yourself into a virtual reality by choice. Uh, basically the matrix where you could look how you wanted and be as healthy as you wanted and eat what you wanted and do what you wanted. Uh, and it would all feel real, but it would be false. And you could yeah. choose to live in that as your, as your day-to-day life. So like vanilla sky. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen that in so long. Is that that is what happens in that movie, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, and like, would you make that choice if given right. the opportunity? And I, you know, I think for you and I, raised on Star Trek, we've seen that <laughs> living in a holodeck is never real. You know, and and you can never be well, fully and satisfied. So much shit goes wrong in the holodeck. Totally. I just wouldn't. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't trust it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you think? Would you make that choice if you had to make that choice? If it was the choice between if we were living in the Matrix world, um, I I don't know. Yeah, I think that I think that I would. Pr- I don't I don't fucking know. My initial reaction is that I would make the choice to be comfortable. Yeah. Um, if I was living in that world for your whole life, yeah. For my whole life. Yeah, it's what you know. Right, right. And I mean, it's not like, it's not like they're getting, um, you know, plucked out of, you know, being with real friends and family or anything like that. Like, they're just fucking born and bred and raised in there. Yeah. And that's all they know. And it's just regular life. Um, but in an instance, like like a vanilla sky instance or in real world, like here. No, I wouldn't want to be in virtual reality for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, I think, I think if think you're born up- in the real world and have the choice to go into VR, it's a very different choice yes. than being born in VR and being asked if you want to be free. Correct. Cause I guess you can ask the, the question of what's really real. Yeah. For you, if your brain is wired a certain way. Yeah. Um, what's really real i don't know uh this movie but makes I, oh sorry go ahead oh i was just gonna say I, I i think that that will be something that will happen eventually and be a choice like you were yeah. talking about i haven't listened to this thing that you were um just saying or i was do talk i haven't listened to the talk that you're talking about yeah um what guy did you say it was ray kurtzweil on okay. star talk talking to neil degrasse tyson okay ray kurtzweil is so, the is like the leading theorist in the whole a leading theorist in the whole world of futurism, which is exactly what it sounds like. Like what will humanity be in the future? Right. So I can definitely see that happening. Uh, I don't know how much in the near future, but I think it'll start out with people that are, you know, terminally ill or, yeah. Um, you know, people that are in comas or whatever. And I, th- the part of me thinks that's great in some ways, if that's something that can be, given to them but yeah like if their body doesn't function and they can think that they have one that does right is that better i mean i I i'm not equipped to answer that question and 
I don't know. I mean, like, I play a lot of video games these days, and I really enjoy them. And I get so much, uh, like, playing online when I've, I, like, have people watching me, and we go through these things together. Uh-huh. Like, if, if something epic happens, it's, like, so exciting, and chat explodes, and, like, <laughs> and that's a real human moment, you know, right. shared between people, even though we're all in completely different rooms, and, like, it's a fucking video game, you know? It's just fucking Mario. Right. But, but it feels exhilarating and thrilling and real. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's a thing that's happening in my mind that's very exciting to me, you know. Even though my right. body is doing nothing, so it's hard it's hard for me to say, and th- and that feels like a really good thing that has a lot of community built around it. And it's hard for me to like to to say like if you take that a step further, it's bad suddenly, you know. Well, I mean, you could take that a step backwards. And when you just said that, I don't spend a, t- a lot of time online these days, except for on Facebook or you know whatever. Yeah. I don't play games online or anything. But when I was when I was like 14, 13, 14 years old, um, I used to go on the lo- the local like bulletin board systems, like before the real incarnation of what we know as the internet now. Yeah. And I would go online and play like word games with people and you would like meet people in these word games and you would interact with them. Totally. And it felt kind of the same as what you're explaining now. Um, just obviously in a, Several steps backwards. Yeah. I just listened so, to something recently where someone met someone on Words with Friends where they married. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So that shit happens. I guess so. I think that, I think that the big thing. How from, do you, <laughs> how do you like troll on Words with Friends? Like for, I mean, they just <laughs> were like randomly playing. And then he was like, hey, what you wearing? Like, oh, my I mean, God, I have go absolutely there? no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I do not know how a random game of words with friends turns into a, a meaningful conversation, let alone a lifelong relationship. I have no idea. I think idea. it's great, though. But I think it's amazing. I yeah. think it's fucking awesome. I mean, I, yeah. met my, I met my girlfriend on Tinder, you know? Yeah. Like, technology has so much potential to bring people together. Absolutely. And I think that, uh, it, I mean, it definitely has the potential to be incredibly isolating and i think that there's a huge issue in that but i don't think that's technology as much as it is society i think society can be very isolating and i think that we have new tools in which to isolate each other through with technology and i think we we have like like someone who doesn't have a lot of real interaction but has a lot of uh digital interaction shall Mm -hmm. we say um probably would have been that way with or without technology. They probably would maybe have some form of social anxiety that makes it difficult for them to uh, be around real people in one way or another. And maybe this, this thing that people look at and say, Oh, that's so isolating is their only way in. It's the only way that they're comfortable having these sort of social relationships. And I think that there's something like extremely valuable there, you know, something like really wonderful that can happen there. I do think that there's also the danger that it doesn't, that there's no incentive to break out of that. Mm-hmm. But I think, except for your own desire for companionship. But I, I do believe in that basic human need for companionship. And I think that stepping stones can be a healthy thing towards getting there. Yeah. Well, I think if it's okay for these people to fall in love over words with friends, it's probably okay for Trinity to fall in love with Neo in like four days. Yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't believe in love at first sight, you know? <laughs> it's just that, like, the crux of the movie depends on on her realizing her feelings for him. Right. And I, I just, I don't know why that just doesn't sit right to me. I mean, it's just, like, their creative choice. And I, I love, I love love. You know, I love movies that, like, revolve <laughs> around love as a plot point. Because it happens uh-huh. a lot where, you know, love is this, like, saving power that will win the day because these people have love and the others don't. I mean, you know, Harry Potter is a great example of that, of a really right. well done example. Uh, and in the matrix totally hinges on love. I mean, that bond between those two is like a huge physical plot point in all three of the movies. And a really odd choice for an action movie. Yeah. It's an odd choice for an action movie. It's also an odd choice for a movie that's trying to talk about like reality versus fantasy. And right. I, I think that, I think that love at first sight is possible, but in a very different way from how it was presented, where when you meet someone, you feel that you have the potential 
to to know this person forever and and love this person forever. Right. But you can't know that that's real in that moment. You you'll feel the endorphins and the excitement of it, but I think it's healthy to to question that and to say, let's give this time and see if it lasts. Mm-hmm. And if it does, I think that saying that you fell in love with that person at first sight is fair because you felt that potential the first time. And I think that's a really rare and wonderful feeling. But I don't think that it's something I I it just bothers me that like all of these real world decisions are based off of that in this movie. And like the Oracle tells Trinity, she's going to feel that. And then Trinity starts to believe it over time. It's something manipulative about that, that I, that cheapens the, the sentiment to me in a weird way. And does Trinity love him because the Oracle told her? Yeah, that's a really that good she question. Was supposed to love the one. Yeah. Or does she love him because she loves him? It's probably a little bit of both. You know, when someone yeah. puts that like thought in your head, yeah. Like, oh, maybe I do love him. Yeah. And I think that by the end of the trilogy, uh, small spoilers here, I do I do buy that love more by the end of the trilogy. Because you see them go through more together and and that feeling never wavers. Uh but in this movie, there's not enough time of them alone to for me to buy that at all. Right. And I think in a good way, because they're like fighting a fucking war as mm-hmm. soon as he gets there, like right. it's boots on the ground, we gotta fight immediately. Because mm-hmm. we're in a desperate situation. And there's not time in the movie to have romantic sequences, which is why I would have taken out this romantic subplot, I think. I think that it kind of weighs the movie down in a weird way. Well, and you could already see the chemistry between them before that was... Well, you could see the chemistry from her. I don't know if... Yeah, I don't, I don't know feel if it you, from him. Yeah. And I, I never I had, have. Huh. I hadn't even thought about that until we just touched on that. Um, yeah, there's no outward exhibition of chemistry from Keanu Reeves towards Carrie Ann Moss. I think in the first scene where he meets her when he's following the girl with the white rabbit and she's like leaning into him and like trying to pretend like sure, she's, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah totally. Trying to That's just seduce true. him. He definitely has some, some interest, but I think he's more interested in what he's, what, she's, what she's saying, saying. than actually. And I her. actually didn't get the sense at all that she was trying to seduce him. Besides trying to seduce him to leave the Matrix. No, I thought that she was trying to appear that she was trying to seduce him as to mm. not arouse any suspicion oh, right, for right, what right. was going on. I could see That's that. That's what I meant. Yeah, I could see that for sure. Yeah, I feel, I feel like she was just all business in that moment. But I yeah. think that leaning in that close f- would make it look more normal for anyone watching. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. And she's so like badass and business-like the whole movie that i don't know it just it felt like it it made her seem confusing to me like i there's so little character development that that seemed like a huge leap and i remember the first time i watched the movie i was completely ripped out of the movie in that moment and i i think that's maybe why i came away from the first viewing disliking it because that felt disappointing to me but Mm -hmm. whenever i watch it again like the particularly the beginning is just so good i mean it's so good on every level it's like near perfect yeah that that one thing has not stopped this from becoming like one of my favorite movies and watching it again i was felt it so hard as like 15 years old again falling in love with this movie all over again like the the green world with like the red chair and like the blue pill it's like it's so fucking evocative like it i is. know kung fu it's so good like they they have this weird they they develop a weird way of of planting one liners that just feel natural in the world but are ridiculous and work so well yep and i love it i know kung fu Show me. How do you how do you feel about about this story? Are you like invested in this story, and do you want more? I'm pretty invested in this story. Um, definitely more so now watching it, uh, and because I haven't seen this at the two and three um, more than once, and I have very little memory of them. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how my memory holds up. I remember them being really dark and not quite as fun. Yeah. As this one. But I I have no memory of the plot line, so don't fucking ruin it for me. Okay. I any, will more, try. Any, any more than any I already have. Any more than you already have. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, no, I'm excited. I think it'll I think it'll be a good, interesting journey. Yeah, I'm really excited too, especially for the sci fi on trial recording, because the reason I started that show was to kind of get over my anger at 
Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, which kind of uh-huh. broke Star Wars for me when I was a kid. And The Matrix Revolutions broke The Matrix for me also, where it was like this cool toy that had been given to me that was this like wonderful toy of imagination that I could just put into my brain and process all the time because it was so wonderful and like so many possibilities and so many thoughts about the nature of the universe and reality and consciousness. And it's, it's just so rich and I love it. Uh-huh. And then the third one was like, well, it's all a bunch of bullshit. And then it just kind of broke and I never wanted to think about it again. And Bummer. it's so interesting to like rewatch this and feel that spark again. Uh, and part of sci-fi on trial for me was like, does one, does does one movie being in this series break the world? And is that a crime? You know, like if, or does the other movie stand on its own? And I, I, I'm really curious to kind of pull that apart for, for the matrix sequels in particular, because it is something that I'm really close to as a fan, uh, that I, that I really walked away from because of feeling like they committed a crime against me and like broken this world that I love so much. Mm -hmm. But I just, you know, I take things, too seriously sometimes you do and i I, i've gotten better over time you know like i'm not crazy about star trek discovery but it doesn't feel to me like it's breaking the world of star trek at all because like it's a different creative team uh star trek is like deep in my bones and star trek is so uneven that it doesn't have to be great you know uh Uh, yeah and don't destroy that for me either because i haven't seen all of discovery i won't yet. i promise i'm really excited for sci-fi on trial and i'm excited that you're me gonna too. you're gonna join us yeah it'll be fun yeah and it's who else i'm sorry it's uh johnny unicorn ryan casey and my friend andrew lee creech that's that's the plan oh Do you i know- love all three of them oh you know andrew yeah we went out um oh yeah we went to see his performance that one time yeah that's the night that, i met and him and then we I went think. to gameworks did we go to gameworks with andrew yeah was it that night I don't know. I've lost a lot of memories. I don't know if it was that night. Um, no, I'm pretty sure it was that night. And Audrey came out and met us. Yeah. And yeah, I loved him. Great guy. Yeah, he's Super awesome. Super interesting. He hasn't been on the podcast, either podcast, in a really long time. So I'm really okay. stoked to have him back. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, that's, the, that's the plan for the panel. I, I'd say like 40% of the time the panels end up changing a day before we record because right. something comes up for someone. So hopefully that's who's going to show up. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it's going to be, it's going to be amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for, <laughs> thank you. It was fun. <laughs> thank you so much for coming back on the show, watching the movie and Anytime. chatting about it. It was really awesome. Next week on the show, Andy El Hadif is coming back and we are going to talk about Blade Runner 2049. I'm so happy to report that I finally got to see that right before it left the theaters. And it was, uh, I mean, it was quite a film. I'm really, really excited to break that down with Andy next week. To learn more about this show or to peruse my library of podcasts and my sci-fi synth-pop album and music videos, head on over to jessemercury.com. It would mean a lot to me if you could leave a positive rating and review for this show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or the podcast platform of your choice. You can support this show monthly by going to patreon.com slash Sci-Fi and becoming a patron of my creative works. There's a bunch of rewards for different patronage levels, including a premium podcast at $2 or more per month. You can write to me at sci-fi at jessemercury.com with any thoughts or reactions to this show. And that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to see you next time. Until then, stay nerdy out there.